Is the Biden regime trying to start a war with a nuclear power, Russia? Are January 6th prisoners being tortured in federal prison? And does Joe Biden actually think he sees dead people? Details in the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 248 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Thursday, September 29th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is really a different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, does anyone remember this exchange between Joe Biden and a reporter back in early February just a few weeks before Russia invaded Ukraine. It went something like this. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the the border of Ukraine uh, again. Then uh, there will be uh, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We we will bring an end to it. But But how will you how will you do that? Exactly. Since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do that. Okay. I'll tell you who does remember it. Tucker Carlson remembers it. He played it in his blistering opening monologue Tuesday evening on Fox News Channel just to remind us all that Joe Biden had threatened to do what our government now promises we didn't do. Tucker began his monologue explaining the environmental catastrophe in the Baltic Sea of all that natural gas being dumped, all that methane being released into the atmosphere. And then then he explained the significance of the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline. So if you're worried about climate change, what just happened to the Nord Stream pipelines is as close to the apocalypse as we have ever come. So the question is, how did this happen? And it turns out it was not an accident. At the very same time that leaks in these pipelines were detected, Swedish officials recorded two powerful undersea explosions, each one of which was equivalent to hundreds of pounds of TNT. Nothing in nature can account for that. Almost immediately, the pipelines began leaking in three separate places. So there's only 
one explanation for what happened. This was an act of industrial terrorism. So, to add to the suspicion that our country actually disabled the Russians' Nord Stream pipeline almost as soon as it was attacked, a guy named Radek Sikorsky went out on Twitter and said, thank you, USA. Now, who, you might ask, is Radek Sikorsky? He's the chairman of the European Parliament's delegation to the U.S. This is the delegation that represents the European Union in the United States, and he's thanking us for blowing up the Russians' pipeline in the Baltic Sea, spilling who knows how many tons of natural gas into the ocean, emitting who knows how much methane into the into the atmosphere? I mean, where is Greta Thunberg when you need her? How dare you? All right, Greta, come on, take a chill pill. The adults are talking, Greta. That's we we don't need it. How dare you? No, no, no. Seriously, seriously. Like I say, this this is. This is the conversation for the grown-ups, Greta, so just uh, just button it up. Now, this Radek Sikorsky guy is also married to Ann Applebaum, a writer for The Atlantic magazine, who continues to peddle the thoroughly debunked Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, She also says there can be no peace until Putin is not just defeated, but humiliated. By the way, you know how we often ridicule the libs about their supposed concern and commitment to the environment, like if Barack and Michelle Obama really believed the sea levels were rising, they wouldn't have spent millions of mansions right on the ocean at Martha's Vineyard in Hawaii? If they're really concerned about carbon emissions, they wouldn't have instructed their driver to have their big honking gas-powered SUV idling outside the fancy restaurant in L.A. where they had dinner with their daughters recently. If all these jet setters like Leonardo DiCaprio were really concerned about carbon emissions, they wouldn't be taking all these private jets to their soirees all over the place. Well, the same thing goes for damaging a huge natural gas pipeline in the ocean. Please, get out of here with your Green New Deal foolishness. It's all about money and control. But here's the thing. It has been widely reported that Ukraine and Russia were close to signing a peace deal back in April. Apparently, Ukraine was going to agree not to join NATO. Russia was going to withdraw its troops, and the war would be over. But it's also being widely reported that the Biden regime said absolutely not. Just like Ann Applebaum said over the Atlantic magazine, no, 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 Putin's got to be humiliated. The Biden regime is actually insisting on regime change in Russia. Peace between Russia and Ukraine is the last thing in the world they want right now. They don't care how many Ukrainians get killed, or Russians for that matter. So the Biden regime sent their lackey 
then-UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson to make sure the peace deal didn't happen. But here's the thing. Russia isn't Libya. Putin is not Muammar Gaddafi, and it's not 2011. Now, a lot of, I know a lot of people have been focused on the destruction associated with a huge Hurricane Ian going into Florida, and it is a big deal. But has anybody heard what Putin said Wednesday afternoon? Probably not, because the news channels have just been wall-to-wall Hurricane Ian because, you know, 140-mile-an-hour hurricane hitting southwest Florida is a, is a big deal. So I owe it to you to tell you what Putin said Wednesday afternoon. And I'm not going to play a female interpreter talking over Putin speaking in Russian. I transcribed the whole thing for you, for free. We pass the savings on to you. Here's what he said. High position representatives of leading NATO states were saying that there might be a possibility and permissibility to use nuclear weapons against Russia. Those that allow such statements shall be reminded that our country also has various weapons of destruction, and with regard to certain components, they're even more modern than the NATO ones, and if there is a threat to the territorial integrity of our country and for protecting our people, we will certainly use all the means available to us, and I'm not bluffing. All right. When the lives of millions of Americans are at stake, it would seem prudent to err on the side of caution. All right? To take Putin seriously. To maybe assume just this time, that uh, maybe he's not bluffing. To resist the temptation to poke the bear. All right? And yet the Biden regime keeps trying to ratchet up the tension with Russia, which is, after all, a nuclear power. Now, why might that be? The Biden regime keeps telling us how awful Putin is and how we have to weaken Russia, and yet everything we have done since the beginning of Russia's incursion into Ukraine has actually strengthened the Russian economy and so strengthened Putin. So who benefits if we were to actually go to war with Russia, a nuclear power? China, of course. Never forget what President Trump told us in the fall of 2020 if Biden were somehow to wind up in the Oval Office, China would take over this country. Why? Because China has totally compromised Joe and his son, Hunter. They are totally blackmailed. Now, I want to try to help you understand how badly our intel community is misunderstanding Russia. 
But speaking of Trump, have you heard what former President Donald J. Trump has offered to do? Deborah Hine has the article. It dropped Wednesday afternoon. Former President, over at American Greatness, former President Donald Trump on Wednesday offered his services to head up a group to help negotiate a deal between Ukraine and Russia following the likely deliberate explosions that took out both of Russia's gas pipelines to Europe. Trump said the entire world is at stake. The former president also claimed that the Russian invasion of Ukraine would not have happened if he were still in office. After learning of the leaks on the Russian-owned Nord Stream 1 pipeline Tuesday, Sweden's Maritime Authority issued the following warning. A Swedish Maritime Administration spokesperson told Reuters, there are two leaks on Nord Stream 1, one in Swedish economic zone and one in Danish economic zone. Experts said that the destruction of both Nord Stream pipelines was most likely caused by a deliberate explosion rather than a natural occurrence such as an earthquake, while many in the international media pointed to Russia as the culprit. The Kremlin dismissed those claims describing the idea that Russia was behind the attack on the Nord Stream gas pipelines is quite predictable and also predictably stupid. Yeah, like they're going to blow up their own pipelines? Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told reporters that the incident needed to be investigated and that the timings for the repair of the damaged pipelines were not clear. Earlier this year, both Joe Biden and Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs Victoria Newland explicitly stated that blowing up the pipelines was something that was very much on the table. Biden told reporters in February that if Russia invaded Ukraine, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We'll bring an end to it. When asked how he planned to do that, Biden replied, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Trump wrote on his social media platform, Truth Social, Wednesday afternoon in reaction to a clip of Biden saying those words. Wow, what a statement. World War III, anyone? In January, Victoria Nuland warned, if Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. The German magazine Der Spiegel reported on Tuesday that the CIA warned its counterparts in Berlin earlier this summer of possible attacks on gas pipelines in the Baltic Sea. Trump wrote on Truth Social, everyone is talking about the big hurricane barreling into Florida, as they should be. But perhaps a far more important event in the longer term was the announcement that the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines out of Russia which I brought to the world's attention as president when I explained how crippling reliance on it could be for Germany and other parts of Europe. Everybody laughed at the time, but they are not laughing anymore, has been sabotaged 
This could lead to major escalation or war. In the subsequent post, Trump wrote, U.S. leadership should remain cool, calm, and dry on the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. He said, this is a big event that should not entail a big solution, at least not yet. The Russia-Ukraine catastrophe should never have happened and would definitely not have happened if I were president. Do not make matters worse with a pipeline blow-up. Be strategic. Be smart. Brilliant. Get a, get a negotiated deal now. Both sides need and want it. The entire world is at stake. I will head up group. Now, during an interview with New York's 77 WABC Radio, Trump was asked by owner, operator, and host John Katsimatidis, what things keep you up at night? Trump replied, I think more than anything else, I think we could end up in World War III, and it could be all of the horrible things that took place in Ukraine. Trump added, looks like it's going to happen in China with Taiwan, as you know, and you see what's going on over there. I think we're at the most dangerous time maybe in, in maybe many, many years, maybe ever, because of the power of nuclear. For a major nation that's equal with us on nuclear power to be throwing around the world cavalierly like nuclear is a very bad time. A very bad time for this country and a very bad time, very dangerous time for the world. Now, Trump noted again that if he were still president, Russian President Vladimir Putin would not have invaded Ukraine. He said on WABC Radio, I got along with him very well. I spoke to him. I understood him. He understood me, probably. But I understood him well, and he would have never done it. As well as he got along with Putin, Trump's administration did take many actions against the Kremlin, including numerous sanctions and the shipping of military aid to Ukraine. Okay, so Deborah Hine, American Greatness, has an update here. The U.S. Embassy in Moscow is urging all U.S. citizens to leave the country. Another update. A Biden administration official on Wednesday denied allegations that it was behind a Nord Stream gas, the Nord Stream gas leaks in the Baltic Sea, calling the idea preposterous. Oh, well, if you can't trust the, uh, the regime, who can you trust? No, no, no. If they if they denied it, then everything must be hunky-dory. Now, isn't that just remarkable? Okay, now let me try to explain to you how different Russia's way of looking at is from ours. Well, I the, the best way to do it, I've got a short article that I need to share with you. And um, yeah, that's that's well, it, it's by a Brit. It, it, it's an article written by a Brit, and it's just the guy calls himself a photographer, but he's clearly a political philosopher because it is a really bright 
article. It's not very long, but it gets all into the idea of trying to understand people who don't look at things the way you do. And time after time, year after year, our intelligence community has seemed to fail at that. They just assume everybody's like them, and that's a big mistake. So that's coming up here in just a moment. Also, the questions, does does Joe Biden really see dead people? And are January 6th political prisoners being tortured in federal prison? A lot still to come. As the Doc Washburn Show continues, once again, we are so thankful to our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do week in and week out as we approach our first anniversary. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guide you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 
303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you once again to our advertisers, our friends, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree. Not only our advertisers and friends, but actually also our doctors. Appreciate y'all. Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones Financial Advisors. Appreciate you too. And Mitch Ward, proprietor of RedRiverYourWay.com. Thank you so much to all of our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here every day. All right. Now, I want to try to explain to you how different, Russia's way of looking at things is from ours. A British political philosopher named Alexander Edward Jackson Smith has an article out which will be crucial to historians looking back in case we do actually stumble our way into World War III, a nuclear war with Russia. It could have been easily avoided. And here's the evidence. The article at his website, alexjacksonsmith.com, is entitled Putin's Bluff? I think not. Subtitle, Who Survives a Nuclear War? And perhaps just as important, Who Thrives if There Isn't One? And it came out just the other day. He says, I've been thinking about the statements from President Putin about nuclear war and Ukraine, along with the reactions from governments in the West. 
it appears that the intelligence services in the West do not seem to understand Russian thinking and pass their ignorance off as he is bluffing. The reality of the situation seems very different and very dangerous. For the Russians, it appears breaking even with a nuclear exchange is the next best thing to winning outright. If you're going to go, take the enemy with you seems to be a reasonable choice. He says, the following is very much my assessment of the situation. It is a personal interpretation on what appears to be happening. Ignoring for a moment the justifications for action, there is a more important issue. The West appears confused by Putin not behaving as they expect him to behave. Are the Western intelligence services actually capable of assessing Russian actions and statements? All too often, we find people listening to the words and then interpreting them in a way that will satisfy their own bias. Learning a language of an adversary without actually learning the history and the mindset of the people is always going to derive bad assumptions. People in intelligence services are those who believe strongly that they are the best. They are working for a moral position, and their country's perspective is fair. Yet these are the people supposedly neutrally interpreting what another country thinks? Assuming others think as we do, or will act as we would, is the very thing that got the West into this mess in the first place. By using salami tactics to eat the countries up to the border of Russia, we assumed that Russia would find it difficult to push back. Indeed, had the same been done to the West, we would indeed have found it difficult to legitimize a reaction. Not so for Russia, it seems. The West gladly ignored the plight of the East Ukrainians with Russian origins and ties. Did we assume Russia would do nothing and ignore these people too? The moment Russia behaved in a way that was not expected is surely the moment we in the West should have been a little more cautious. So either we expected and indeed wanted this reaction for Russia, or alternatively, we are totally blasé and naive with regard to other people's interests and peace. Which is it? It appears to me that the Russians are proud when they have killed the enemy. This is in stark contrast to the West. As a comparison, think of Britain's attitude to the deaths with the conflict over the Falkland Islands back in the 1980s. This writer who is a Brit, 
says, clearly we are proud we recovered the islands, but we also have an aversion to all deaths involved in doing so. The Russians lost many people in World War II, and they also dealt much back, and this seems to have formed their mindset. It would seem that the expectation of having to kill their enemies is par for the course in Russian survival thinking and not a necessary evil as we in the West would feel. Indeed, the question is one of survival. In reality, slavish checks for morality and ethics are a weakness if someone is holding a loaded weapon to your head. Either you do now what it takes to survive or you die. So being proud of survival at all costs is not as stupid a strategy as we in the soft West would consider. There's a limit to what value accommodating table manners plays in a conflict for survival. Indeed, the West seems to overplay table manners. We have problems at the moment deciding what is a woman, what constitutes an asylum seeker, and what is sovereignty. All issues Russians also have no such qualms about. Now, remember, America said the purpose is to break up Russia. U.S. military spokespeople, along with politicians, have clearly stated the aim of the Ukraine situation is to destroy and undermine the Russian state. Now, sure, they worded it as just attacking Putin, but it is the same thing in the eyes of Russia. NATO expansion was not against Putin, it was against Russia and the Russian people. The Americans seem to repeatedly engineer positions with so-called diplomacy, but often fail to plan an exit strategy. Neither do they consider a de-escalation plan if their wisdom is flawed. He says, I considered a reversal plan in my article, Ukraine, a lawless playground for Russia. But I think we have gone too far to think Russia would be confident we would deliver now. He says, we have seen American diplomacy with Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, all the way back to Vietnam. The saving grace in each of these previous scenarios was that the adversary was of limited threat and not a nuclear power. Russia is a very different case. Very few citizens in a Western society could survive a nuclear exchange. This, I think, would not be the case with Russia and some other Eastern European countries. Their peoples are very much more in tune with nature, growing their own food, laying down supplies for winter. Indeed, many Russians with dachas and houses have underground stores for food they have prepared throughout the summer. A type of cellar for the garden appears to be quite common. Also, people using a well to get water is also not uncommon. Many of their outlying communities are very used to poor connections, both in terms of travel and communications, which makes them more self-sufficient and also mentally ready for times of hardship. A nuclear exchange would be such a time of hardship. 
as we have seen with both lockdown and with the impact of energy costs, the West seems far from self-sufficient, exposing dependencies on supermarkets, fossil fuels, and connectivity simply to survive. Russians, on the other hand, seem to do more than survive in such environments. They actually seem to thrive. Only a few days ago, African states made it clear they want no part of this American-Ukraine issue. China, according to some accounts, is providing military assistance to Russia. BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, I had to look that up. It is an acronym coined to associate five major emerging economies. BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. So that those five countries have their own organization. Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. BRICS seems likely to be the most dominant geopolitical group and on the proviso nuclear war is avoided the most dominant economic bloc too. Either way, the USA and its allies lose. By backing the USA, by backing the USA engineering an attack on Russia, the West has generated a mistrust within BRICS and within Africa where much of the world's energy, food, and raw materials exist, not to mention the largest populations too. If there is nuclear war, the West loses more. If there's no nuclear war, the West loses more and plays second fiddle to a world dominated by BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. All because the USA did not want to have to work at maintaining its position and felt an entitlement? He concludes saying, I can't help thinking we would have fared better by not bullying in the playground. After all, the United Nations is not the teacher the West can run to crying when we get our bloody nose. Wow, man. Just wow. That is an article called Putin's Bluff, I think not, over at alexjacksonsmith.com. It's written by Alexander Edward Jackson Smith. So our leaders our leaders are either evil enough to be on a suicide mission or they are irretrievably dense, stupid, if you will. Now, I use the term suicide mission advisedly. You don't think all high-ranking Japanese government officials escaped the destruction wrought by the nuclear bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, do you? If we get into a nuclear war with Russia, there's no telling how much death and destruction there will be. One thing is for sure, though. It will not be a pleasant experience for anyone seemingly in charge of our government. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, none of them would have a pleasant experience if we get into a major war with Russia. 
It also would not have positive consequences for any of the people widely thought by conservatives to be pulling Biden's strings in the background. Barack Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Susan Rice, Ron Klain, Victoria Newland. None of them. Yeah, we'll go ahead and throw Soros in too. None of them. Powerful people who are evil tend to hatch plans to help them acquire more power and or money. Going to war with Russia would not do that for the people in control whom I have just mentioned. So the way I see it, if the regime decides we're going to go to war with Russia, that's more stupid than evil. So how do we wrap our minds around that? Perhaps the great German pastor of the 1930s and 40s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, can help us to understand what we are up against. Now, I've got for you a five-minute explanation, which is quite compelling. So compelling, as a matter of fact, that you may wind up remembering it for the rest of your life. It goes something like this. In the darkest chapter of German history, during a time when incited mobs threw stones into the windows of innocent shop owners and women and children were cruelly humiliated in the open, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a young pastor, began to speak publicly against the atrocities that the regime had produced. After years of trying to change people's minds, Dietrich Bonhoeffer came home one evening and his own father had to tell him that two men were waiting in his room to take him away. In prison, Bonhoeffer began to reflect on how his country of poets and thinkers had turned into a collective of cowards, crooks and criminals. Eventually, he concluded that the root of the problem was not malice, but stupidity. In his famous Letters from Prison, Bonhoeffer argued that stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice, because while one may protest against evil, it can be exposed and prevented by the use of force. Against stupidity, we are defenseless. Neither protests nor the use of force accomplish anything here. Reasons fall on deaf ears. Facts that contradict a stupid person's prejudgment simply need not be believed, and when they are irrefutable, they are just pushed aside as inconsequential, as incidental. In all this, the stupid person is self-satisfied and, being easily irritated, becomes dangerous by going on the attack. For that reason, greater caution is called for when dealing with a stupid person than with a malicious one. If we want to know how to get the better of stupidity, we must seek to understand its nature. This much is certain. Stupidity is, in essence, not an intellectual defect, but a moral one. There are human beings who are remarkably agile intellectually, yet stupid, and others who are intellectually dull, yet anything but stupid. The impression one gains is not so much that stupidity is a congenital defect, but that, under certain circumstances, people are made stupid, or rather, they allow this to happen to them. 
people who live in solitude manifest this defect less frequently than individuals in groups, and so it would seem that stupidity is perhaps less a psychological than a sociological problem. It becomes apparent that every strong upsurge of power, be it of a political or religious nature, infects a large part of humankind with stupidity, almost as if this is a sociological, psychological law where the power of the one needs the stupidity of the other. The process at work here is not that particular human capacities, such as intellect, suddenly fail. Instead, it seems that under the overwhelming impact of rising power, humans are deprived of their inner independence and, more or less consciously, give up an autonomous position. The fact that the stupid person is often stubborn must not blind us from the fact that he is not independent. In conversation with him, one virtually feels that one is dealing not at all with him as a person, but with slogans, catchwords and the like that have taken possession of him. He is under a spell, blinded, misused, and is abused in his very being. Having thus become a mindless tool, the stupid person will also be capable of any evil, incapable of seeing that it is evil. Only an act of liberation, not instruction, can overcome stupidity. Here, we must come to terms with the fact that in most cases, a genuine internal liberation becomes possible only when external liberation has preceded it. Until then, we must abandon all attempts to convince the stupid person. Bonhoeffer died due to his involvement in a plot against Adolf Hitler at dawn on the 9th of April 1945 at Flossenburg concentration camp, just two weeks before soldiers from the United States liberated the camp. Action springs not from thought, but from a readiness for responsibility. The ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children, Bonhoeffer once said. Check the description below to read Bonhoeffer's original text after 10 years. Okay, and you can do that. Uh, their YouTube channel is called Sprouts, and the video is from something called Sprouts Schools, and they have their own website, SproutsSchools.com. So perhaps what we're dealing with here really is stupidity. I just don't think Biden's brain trust at the State Department and Department of Defense have any idea, okay? I mean... I don't think they have the mental capacity to understand people who don't think like they do. I mean, liberals don't tend to, you know. Here's a perfect example. A liberal economist kind of guy named Matt Stoller over on Twitter said, I would be extremely surprised if the U.S. were involved in the pipeline rupture. Talk about the Nord Stream, right? For one thing, if we were, those dumb national security officials would be bragging to the New York Times about it the next day. Now, the great Sean Davis over the Federalists couldn't let that pass. He responded 
A dysfunctional pipeline accomplishes a bunch of U.S. foreign policy goals while removing Russia's biggest source of revenue from and leverage over Europe, specifically Germany. And on top of that was explicitly threatened by Biden earlier this year. Now, a nice guy who didn't get the point and so shall remain nameless responded, are you saying this is the most strategically smart move Biden has made in his first two years? Sean Davis's response was blunt and to the point. He said, risking nuclear war to destroy a pipeline the Biden administration went out of its way to approve in the first place after Trump had blocked it in service of a war the U.S. has no business being involved in is not what I would call strategically smart. So a guy using the name Mawam responded, it's strategically smart for China, that's for sure. While we fiddle with Cold War ghosts, China is gobbling up all the influence in at least three other continents, both Americas and Africa. And indeed they are. I'm reminded of a verse from the 29th proverb in the Old Testament of the Bible, which says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Friend, we are in a spiritual battle. Please don't forget to pray for our country. Okay, now we go from the stupid to the evil, for sure the evil. You're about to hear a telephone conversation between two January 6th political prisoners, Ryan Samsell and Dominic Pozzola, and on the other end, Jim Hoft. Actually, I think his, bro- his brother Joe Hoft over there at the, uh, at the Gateway Pundit. And... Um, it's uh, it's just heartbreaking what is being done to these people in prison. And there's no excuse for it. But, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned at the start of the show every day that I'll never forget these political prisoners that most Republican Politicians refuse to even mention. So when I stumble across something like this about what's really going on inside the prison, I need to tell you about it. So here it is. So yeah, I want people to know that I'm the guy who was accused of the initial breach at the U.S. Capitol, and I'm the guy that is alleged to be the pitcher with Rafs when he speaks into my ear. Now, if you heard of Ray Epps, the guy who keeps on trying to get people to go into the Capitol, on January 5th, he said, we got to go into the Capitol tomorrow. On January 6th, go into the Capitol. This is one of the guys he's talking to right before they start um, plowing down the, the bike racks, which were supposed to be keep people out of the Capitol. Okay? He whispers in his ear. Right before, this is one of the guys that, you know, turns over the bike rack so they can head into the Capitol. But Ray Epps, of course, who's a Fed, let's face it, he's a Fed. 
He hasn't been indicted. But this guy has been in prison for quite some time, and every once in a while the guards beat him up. Badly. You need to know about this. And when certain things had reached the media, uh, I was put, uh, when I was in Warsaw, Virginia, uh, there were some things that I, I, I don't have access. I know that the CEOs came and said, I have to go to the hole. And I said, why? They said, the government called the jail up and said, you have to be put in solitary confinement because something was written in a newspaper about you. So I went down to speak to my lawyer, and when I spoke to my lawyer, he, he explained to me that there was things in the newspaper, but while in the meeting with my lawyer, as soon as it went off, the, C, the, the CEOs uh, handcuffed me and they, they assaulted me. I was then uh, denied medical. When the CEO did a second round, she realized I was passed out and my, my face was broken in a different place. They sent me to Tappahannock, but before that, they told Tappahannock's the place in Virginia. I tried to cover it up and say it was a drug overdose, and they put Narcan on my nose and said I overdosed on drugs. And ever since then, I was getting threatening letters, and on the letters it has my family's name and their return address. But on the name, it says, um, like, like we're, we're stamped. Yeah. It's from, Flor- it's from Florida, so I reported this to the FBI field office. And when I reported it, uh, they shipped me to Philadelphia, and what Philadelphia FBI field office did is they, they investigated me for, they said that I threatened FBI, but then they never indicted me on the charges. That's why they held me in solitary confinement so long. Again, the FBI is going to have to be dismantled. Going to have to be. Just so you know. Ever since then, I, I have referrals. Uh, I went to Jefferson Hospital uh, for medical treatment. They keep denying me medical treatment. And he, he, like I, I have, a, I was supposed to get surgery. I was supposed to see a myofascial doctor. I was supposed to get rehab. I have blood clots from being zip tied. And then I was put in a restraint chair when I was in Virginia uh, over that uh, article. And I gained a blood clot in my right leg. And I'm not getting no, no medical, and we keep asking for bonds just so I can get surgery from it because the independent doctor said I do need surgeries on the judge's request, and the judge still is denying me bonds. This call is from a federal prison. Just to get the surgeries. Uh, Jim, I would turn, turn, myself, turn myself yeah. in, and, and, I, and I want to add that the Patriot Freedom Project, if any listeners, please stop donating to that project. None of us, Dominic Pizzullo, Thomas Bauer and, and Ryan, myself, Ryan Samsel, have been asking for for money, and she has given us zero. She, I, she's even told uh, my wife if we contact her again and ask her for any help, that she would report us to the FBI. And I, I have these text messages as well. Wow. So, from what Ryan Samsel, federal prison, is saying, is the Patriot Freedom Project is a ripoff. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm just telling you what he's saying. There are always grifters everywhere, aren't there? And uh, I, I, I haven't gotten anything. Wow. Zero. Wow. That's, that's shocking. Uh, yeah, 
Tell me something real quick, Ryan. And that yeah, was uh, sure. you, you mentioned something about uh, Ray Epps, and you don't want to say that over the phone. What was that again? Yeah, I don't want to speak too much over a re- over a recorded phone about that that day with him um, uh-huh. because uh, I, I really am in fear of my life. Jim, I was assaulted uh, three three different occasions, and all three occasions I had to be uh, taken to the hospital when his right. name or anything was brought up. Tell your last name too. Tell everybody your last name. Got it. Got it. Dominic Fazola. Hey, hey. This is inexcusable. And it's going on in our federal prisons. And nothing's being done about it. Now, what lesson are we to take from that? Um, I just, it's uh, very upsetting. And I wish I could do something about it. But, um, what can be done. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my God, that's awful. And then, and then they didn't give him treatment, or they did? No. I, I, well, let me put him back on the phone. He can probably tell you better. Okay. What's up, Jim? Hey, hey. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, did they give you uh, treatment after you got? they found you beat up? Dominic found you? No, so they, they took me to the hospital, and Howard University Hospital found I had a blood clot in my left shoulder, and I had a, a broken face, I had a broken nose, a ruptured kidney, and they, they, they ordered I get further treatment, and they never gave me that. So then I went to a vascular, I went to a vascular surgeon after assault in Virginia, and she says she recommends I go to physical rehab. And the prosecutor, who which name is Karen Rockland, she denied me that. And then when I went to Warsaw, that's where I got the the worst beating. They broke the right side of my face, and I have a blood clot in my right head, and they left me in a chair uh, for about ten to twelve hours. Like, and, like and tied to a chair or what? Yeah, it's called a restraint chair. They tie you in the chair. And for 12 hours? Yeah, for 12 hours, and I end up getting a blood clot in my right leg. And I asked, because I know what the blood clots feel like. And when I asked, it's not, and then they tried to cover it up, and they forced me to take um, this squirt. They squirted the stuff up my nostril and said that uh, I overdosed on drugs. And then when they tested me for drugs, I obviously came up negative. So it was, they, they tried oh to, to cover up. But when I went to the hospital, 
the doctor at the hospital was the same doctor at the jail. It's the same doctor. And he even, he had to mark that it was an assault. And they took pictures. And um, they, they, from there, they transferred me out. And then they, the, the judge gave me a bond, a temporary. This call is from a federal prison. I went to Pennsylvania. And then what Pennsylvania shipped me back when I got Judge Cobb, she shipped me back. She, she does not want me on the street. And we keep putting in for a bond. And I would uh, I would only ask that it would be temporary for medical, but she, she doesn't want it. And uh, like I said, I, I've gotten a lot of threatening letters. Uh, and I, I do believe in my heart that the FBI is writing these letters because how else would they know my family's personal information? I mean, a family and friends that nobody would know that I know, and it's always the return address. And I, like I said, I took their letters and I mailed them back to the FBI office and asked if they can investigate. And when I, when I did that, um, immediately I made the New York Times for being investigated for more more threats. They said that I was the one threatening. So when I seen wow. Joe, which is an in-house like uh, judge, he listened to the phone tapes and said, "There's no threats here. This is this is bullcrap." Do you get this? He's getting threatening letters, and on the envelope, his home address is the return address. So he's asking the FBI to investigate, and then all of a sudden, the FBI is leaking to the New York Times that he's threatening the FBI. All right, got it? I'm, I'm getting real tired of hearing that 99% of the FBI agents are uh, are legit. The local agents are all upstanding, brave, moral folks. It's just the leadership in D.C. That's all. Just the leadership in D.C. Everybody else is on the up and up. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I hear some more. And he released it, but basically, I, I think it was a way for them to tell me to keep my mouth shut because I was in a hole for five months. And oh uh, I just don't know what to do, Jim. I, I want people to know. Yeah. Uh, Darren, Darren Beatty keeps saying that the guys who did the initial breach and he says that none of us were indicted. I want people to know that I, my name is Ryan Samsel and, and I was at that front and I, I, I am indicted. I am charged. I want people to know. I think he got some bad in- info there because, I, you know, I double-checked on this before I started the show today, and Darren Beatty over Revolver.News does say the feds were inordinately interested in Ryan Semsell, and they weren't charging most of the guys around him, but they definitely arrested him. So, I don't know. Uh, Ryan, God bless him, has been beat up and has been denied medical care. I, I, I just, I don't know. I just think he got some bad info about... Uh, Darren beating revolver.news. But anyway. I'm not working with the FBI. I am charged, and I've been assaulted multiple times. And even the former president, Mr. Trump, I lost the sight in my right eye due to the, the, the brain damage from the first assault. And I'm, oh I'm not getting any medical treatment at all. And then you also have some uh, some lumps in your chest, right, that you're concerned about? Yeah. yeah, so I went to Jefferson Hospital. They sent me to an oncologist, breast cancer doctor. She says it's gynecomastia mixed with lymph nodes. And she ordered that I get them 
a, a call to Glam sent to me, and I was scheduled to get this before I went to jail. And when I was seeing the, the doctor at Jefferson Hospital, uh, her name is Doctor Melissa Lazar. Uh, when they sent me back to the, the jail, the jail said they couldn't get blood from my arm because the veins are so scarred up from the clot. So they, re, they said that I refused uh, to get blood. But I didn't refuse to get blood. It's, I, I don't have any veins left in my arm to do so and because of all the clots. So they just they, they, they canceled my surgery on me. Oh, my God. Uh, that's inhumane. I mean, I, I, I could take it. I need any help that I can get. And, and uh-huh. I said, like, I, I, I keep writing Cynthia Hughes, and I keep begging her for help. And I said, she, she's already threatened the FBI on me and, and my wife. So I... I I don't know what to do. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, maybe maybe have your wife contact me if you if you want. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. I will. I yes, sir. Yeah, I will. yeah. Do, 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 so either, much, do either of the other guys want to say something? Do you guys want to say something, Cliff? Dominic. You said, "Oh, Dominic was also call you." And uh, Tom, Thomas Bauer, Thomas Bauer said, "Oh, call you." Okay. Well, God yep, bless you guys. You. All right. Yep. Thank you. Okay, hang in there. Bye. Okay, bye. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. And I, uh, I don't know what to do about it. You get this, what, Patriot Freedom Project supposed to be helping people like this, but they aren't. He says it's a scam. I don't know. I'm going to try to get the great Julie Kelly on the show again and ask her if she knows what to do about it. Well, for that matter, there are a handful of Republicans in Congress who are at least talking about these folks. Marjorie Taylor Greene out of Georgia. Louis Gohmert out of Texas, Paul Gosar out of uh, Arizona, um, I think Matt Gates out of Florida, probably one or two more. I can't remember right off the bat. So you might want to contact some of their offices and say, hey, what can we do to help? Those are some names that come up to my mind right off right off the bat. What can we do to help? It's just uh, it's it's just really horrendous. But I spend a lot of time every day looking for stuff like this that I'm thinking you probably aren't going to hear anywhere else. The reason I'm doing this show at 7.41 Eastern, 6.41 Central Time, AM, that's what I'm doing it live, is because I've been up all night doing show prep. I started show. I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I just... I want to give you the best. 
So, you know, if it takes eight hours from 9P to 5A to do the show prep to get the stuff, then that's that's what I'll do. I have no complaints. I'm blessed to be able to do this, and I'm thankful. Okay, now, um, do you remember, hasn't been that many days ago, Dementia Joe Biden was on 60 Minutes with Scott Pelley. You remember what Scott Pelley asked him? Some people ask whether you are fit for the job. And when you hear that, I wonder what you think. Watch me. Watch me, huh? Are you fit for the job? Watch me. Yeah, we're watching you, Joe. We're watching you. Now, you may not have heard about this. Because, again, all day Wednesday, all the news was about Hurricane Ian, or Ian, as the case may be, because it's a big deal. 140-mile-an-hour winds hitting southwest Florida and a lot of people there, that's a big deal. So, um... Joe Biden was at uh, he was at a deal odd kind of in politics some kind of bipartisan deal okay bipartisan political deal and he asked if uh, Congresswoman Jackie Walorski was there, U.S. Representative representing the 2nd Congressional District of Indiana from January 2013 until her death August 3rd in a horrible automobile accident that killed her and several other people, which Joe Biden had paid tribute to her, you know, about seven weeks ago. So in his mind, though, all of a sudden doing the dementia thing, oh, is she here? Is she still, is she, he's thinking she's still alive. Yeah, watch me. Okay, we'll watch you. And so many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed and I want to thank all of you here, for, including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. Um, that's very troubling. Very troubling. How can you forget that a member of Congress was killed in a terrible automobile accident and you paid tribute to her less than two months ago? How is that possible? Well, so this gives the White House press secretary the White House press secretary, Jean, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, 
it makes her job a little more difficult. Okay? Because even the mainstream media reporters are going, um, hold up, wait, wait. Wait just a second. Um, yeah, this, 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 uh, no, no, hang on. Let, let me just ask you. Now, Nate Hockman over at um, National Review, just to give you a preface for what you're about to hear. He said, I disagreed with Jen Psaki on almost every major political issue, but she was a competent political operator. On the other hand, Corinne Jean-Pierre routinely seems genuinely confused by a lot of questions from the press and just reads off the script in front of her for most of her answers. So, I guess from what he's saying, she's about about as bright as Kamala. One of his responses on Twitter said, I'm honestly not sure if she's bad or just has an impossible job. Maybe it's both. I mean, her boss just asked where a dead congresswoman was during the middle of his speech. How do you spin that? And Nate answers, yeah, she's obviously the press secretary for a particularly difficult president, but Jen Psaki was press secretary for the same president and was exponentially better at spinning his gaffes. That, that's true. I can't argue that. So, that having been said, we start with uh, Cecilia Vega, ABC White House correspondent, asking Corrine Jean-Pierre about Biden's faux pas of being confused about whether a person is dead or alive. Final one. What happened in the hunger event today? The president appeared to look around the room uh, for an audience member, a member of Congress who passed away last month. It seemed to indicate she might be in the room. So, so the president was, uh, as you all know, you guys were watching uh, today's event, a very important event on uh, food insecurity. The president was naming uh, the congressional champions on this issue and was acknowledging her incredible work. He had uh, he had already uh, planned to welcome the congresswoman's family uh, to the White House on Friday. There will be uh, a bill signing in her honor this coming Friday. Uh, so, of course, she was on his mind. She was of top of mind uh, for the president. He looks very much looks forward to discussing her remarkable legacy of public service with them when he sees her family this coming Friday. Okay, I should have warned you about something. Um, There are people who enjoy imbibing adult beverages. And... um, They have drinking games. It usually has something to do with watching sports contests, uh, ball games, baseball, football, whatever. And it usually has something to do with making fun of 
play-by-play, you know, announcers, whatever. So um, it's like every time so-and-so says something that is a crutch, something he says a lot, then, you know, they take a shot of alcohol. So I want to ask you, please, to resist the temptation. Now, people listening to the live stream are probably not going to be drinking it, you know, 8 a.m. Eastern or 7 a.m. Central or 6 a.m. Mountain or whatever. But, you know, even if you're listening later in the day, please resist the temptation to take a shot of alcohol every time Kareem Jean-Pierre says the phrase top of mind. Because I'm just warning you. She's going to say it an awful lot. Cecilia Vega, ABC, takes another bite of the apple. He said, Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here. No, I totally understand. I just I just explained she was on top of mind. Uh, um, you didn't explain anything. You didn't explain why you thought a dead person was alive. Can she be this stupid? Yeah, probably. You know, this wasn't what we were able to witness today and what the president was able to lift up uh, in this uh, at this conference, at this event, uh, was how her uh, her focus on um, wanting to uh, deal with combat food insecurity in America. And this is something that he was lifting up and honoring. And again, he knows that he's going to see her family this coming Friday. There's a bill signing uh, that's going to happen in renaming a VA clinic in, in Indiana after the late Congresswoman. He knows that he is going to see her family, and she was a top of mind. Goodness. Goodness sakes. This is who they thought should be press secretary. That's that's what I'm to understand here. Again, Jen Psaki, I don't know how she would have dealt with it, but Phil Mattingly, White House guy for CNN, is wondering why Biden was looking for Jackie, dead Jackie. The late Congresswoman was top of mind for the president and her family was expected to be here, and that's what he was thinking about. What, what was he looking for? I'm not, I'm not trying to be snarky here. No, I mean, and I'm... No. saying what he said there. And again... I think people can understand. I think the American people out there who, you know, watch the briefing uh, from time to time, maybe at this moment, will understand when someone is at top of mind. Uh, and uh, and this was such an important, uh, such an important event when we're talking about hunger, when we're talking about food insecurity, when we're talking about these champions, these congressional champions who were in the room, who have worked in a bipartisan way. Uh, you know, we don't talk much about bipartisan actions that we see in Congress at this time and as he was naming folks he she was on top of mind and he understands and knew that she was he was going to see uh, her family on friday uh for this bill signing uh again i don't think it's all that unusual 
uh, to have someone top of mind, especially as there's a big event, uh, two big events today and also Friday, uh, that is going to occur. And so he's going to see her family. They're going to honor her. Uh, they're going to celebrate her, and he will do a bill signing for this really critical, let's not forget, this critical, important issue for millions and millions uh, of Americans across the country. And if I know anything about the Biden regime, if I know anything about official Washington and critical, important bills, it'll be full of pork, which has nothing to do with actually helping people. But anyway, um, Stephen Portnoy, Stephen Portnoy over at CBS News Radio tries to ask Karine Jean-Pierre about why Biden was looking for Jackie, who's been dead for almost two months. And he, he was dogged. He was insistent. He didn't want to give up, and she did not appreciate it. Top of mind, top of mind, top of mind. Sorry to have to do this, but I'm compelled to ask you to go one more time back to the question about Congresswoman Morrison. I'm not sure why. Why? Why one more time? Uh, frankly, honestly, I think the memory... You're not sure why? Are you that stupid? You don't know why. They want to know why Biden thought a dead woman is alive. Congresswoman in history requires some clarity here. Can you explain where the mistake was made? Did the president, was the president confused? Was something written in the teleprompter that he didn't recognize? Can you just help us understand what happened? I mean, you're jumping to a lot of conclusions. Uh, no, but you're... But, but I, I, no, I hear you, Stephen. I'm, I'm answering the question that you're jumping to a lot of conclusions. I just answered the question. If I had said, if that had been the case, I would have stated that, right? I would clearly have stated uh, what you just laid out. You haven't answered the question once. You haven't come anywhere near even a glancing blow at answering the question. Uh, what I have said is that she was on top of mind and that he is going to see her family in just two days' time. Don't drink. On Friday to honor her, to honor her work, to honor, uh, to honor uh, her legacy, if you will. Uh, I, I just mentioned this. It's going to be a renaming of a VA clinic in Indiana in her name. And, you know... That is that is what he was thinking of. He was thinking about her uh, as he was as he was naming out and calling out uh, the congressional champions on this issue, on this really critical issue that's going to help millions of Americans. And that is uh, that is uh, that is what the president uh, was focused on. Would you be prepared to release the prepared remarks that the president had in teleprompter so we can understand? Ha ha ha. Yeah, let's have the prepared remarks. We want to know if you went off script. Uh, I'm not understanding why why that would be would be necessary. We always that's because you're really stupid. I'm sorry, really stupid. Share uh, the remarks that the president uh, had um, uh, even you know delivered. That's probably going to be up on the website. Uh, not really sure what that has to do with anything. I just answered the question about. Not once have you answered the question, why did he think a dead woman is still alive? No, you haven't answered anything. Her being on top of mind, I don't think that's any. Don't drink. She said it again. That's unusual. I feel like many of us have gone through uh, that particular uh, time where. No, no, none of us have ever done that, ever. 
you know? I'm not uh I'm not walking around saying um was was President Reagan here? You know? I'm not walking around saying uh I heard Kirk Cobain is going to be down playing out of the club. No. No, we don't do that. We don't do that. Someone is on top of mind and you call the pastor. Sorry. Don't, don't, don't drink. Don't drink. Whatever you do, she said it again. Don't drink. Oh, my goodness. Be necessary. We always share uh, the remarks that the president uh, had, um, um, even you know, delivered. That's probably going to be up on the website. Uh, not really sure what that has to do with anything. I just answered the question about her being on top of mind. I don't think that's any that's unusual. And I apologize for tormenting you by accidentally. Rewinding it a little bit. I apologize. I feel like many of us have gone through uh, that particular uh, time where someone is on top of mind and you call them out. Uh, and you mentioned, especially in this this type of context, if you think about how he's going to see the family in two days, if you think about how when he sees them in two days, it's going to be for such an important moment, a signing, uh, signing a piece of legislation that's going to rename a VA clinic in her uh, in her state, that's important. Uh, if you think about this issue and how important this issue is, and he was, again, calling out the congressional champions uh, for this particular issue. See, so that's why he shouldn't have made the mistake. Okay? Because he knew that he's getting ready to dedicate a VA center in her honor because she's passed away. He knew he was going to be meeting with her family in a couple of days because she's passed away. So everything the hapless Karine Jean-Pierre is telling us is reinforcing why Biden should not have made the mistake and thought she was still alive. Matt Visor, Washington Post White House guy, He's going to give it a shot. Actually, I just wanted to return to this question of the congresswoman. And I think we all totally get why she's top of mind. You've made that case pretty effectively. Um, Oh, now he uses it. Don't drink. Using part is why, if she and the family is top of mind, does the president think that she's living and in the room? I don't find that confusing. I mean, I think many people can speak to sometimes when you have someone top of mind. They're a top of mind. Exactly that. Please don't drink. Uh, and it is also, if you put it into the context, it's not like it happened without outside of context, right? It happened at an event uh, where we were um, uh, champ- we were calling out the champions, uh, congressional champions in particular of this uh, issue, this important issue uh, when it comes to food insecurity, something that this administration has led on, led uh, on uh, from the beginning of this administration, not just across the country, but, uh, but also globally. You heard him talk about food insecurity last week at the UN and uh, the investments that we have put forward uh, as as the U- as as the United States of America and helping and helping deal with that. Look, 
he was at an event, you all saw, you all watched, which is why you're asking the question, right, where he was calling out, again, uh, congressional leaders, uh, a bipartisan uh, leadership that we have seen on this particular issue. And, uh, again, he's going to see her family in just two days. And uh, she was on top of mind. I mean, I don't, that is, <laughs> I mean, that is, uh, that is not an unusual, uh, unusual scenario there. Please don't drink. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm not trying to tempt anybody. Um, James Rosen used to be on Fox News for years, now over on Newsmax. Um, he kind of put a finer point onto it, and she didn't appreciate that. I have John Lennon top of mind just about every day, but I'm not looking around for him anyway. When you sign a bill for John Lennon, Lennon has president, then we can have this conversation. In case you didn't understand what he said, Kareen, I have John Lennon top of mind almost every day, but I'm not looking around for him. She's like, well, when you sign a bill with John Lennon's name on it as president, we have this conversation. So she's lying. She's not stupid enough not to get it. I don't understand. Why? Philip Wegman, Real Clear News, also gives the old college try. With Karine Jean-Pierre. Just to try one more time, um, does the president believe that in his reference to the late Representative Jackie Walorski, who you have said uh, from the podium numerous times he respects the work that she has done, he'll be meeting with her family um, to honor her work, does he believe This is a, a question that many of you have had. I've answered it multiple times uh, already in this room, uh, and my answer is certainly not going to change. Uh, all of you may have views on on how I'm answering it, but I am answering the question uh, to the way that uh, he saw it uh, and the way that uh, we see it. Uh, we have to remember as, as, as well is that, uh, you know, this was an important event today. This was an event about food security. This was an event about how we're going to take the steps to get to, to eradicate hunger by 2030. And that is something that the president takes very personally. That is something that the, we would be doing this event that has not happened since President Nixon, right? That was 50 years ago that an event like this occurred at the White House. So clearly this is something that is important. Uh, clearly this is something that he uh, really honors both Republican and Democratic uh, congressional champions uh, when it comes to this issue. Again, she was at the top of mind. Uh, he is going to be uh, seeing her family in two days to honor her, uh, to honor the work that she has done. And, um, and uh, you know, this was a remarkable legacy that she had, and we should be honoring that. Wow. It's bad, man. It's bad. Again, I, if I've said it once, I've said it I don't know how many times. To work for this administration, you have to be able to lie with a straight face and not even worry about it. Okay, as I'm doing uh, 
the live stream after 8 a.m. Eastern, after 7 a.m. Central. The uh, sheriff of Lee County, Florida. Lee County, Florida. Big county in southwest Florida. Uh, Fort Myers area is saying there are hundreds of casualties from the hurricane as dawn breaks. Pray for the folks in Lee County, Florida and their families. God bless them. Um, it's uh, it's going to be a rough day. Going to be a rough day. All right, it's uh, it's time to say it once again. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Tweet of the day, Joe Biden asked about the best way to get ready for a hurricane. Let me be clear. If you're in a state where a hurricane is often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. Everything is more complicated if you're not vaccinated in a hurricane or natural disaster hits. I... I just, I mean, I, 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 I can't. Uh... <sighs> You've been listening to episode 248 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the 10th. That's the way it is, Thursday, September 29th, 2022.